Bujun and Dinoe Maganatug. Greetings, relatives. My name is Melissa Nelson, and I'm your host and gardener of the Native Seed Podcast. Welcome to the Native Seed Pod, a podcast aimed at celebrating the diversity and beauty of native seeds, soils, and indigenous foods. Welcome, everyone, to episode seven of the Native Seed Pod. And this session, Nourishing the Spirit in Native California, we are so excited to have you joining us today. I'm joined here with Melissa Nelson, our beautiful host and gardener for the Native Seed Pod. And today we are talking about a topic that is actually very special to me. We are diving into the world of traditional ecological knowledge, TEK tech, this wonderful new term that is coming out into the world, especially in our realm here of ecoecology and what that means in our living land relationships, but also specifically about this concept in direct application to the land we're on right now. Here in California, our home base, talking about um, this amazing topic. And Melissa, it makes sense to me to kind of begin at the beginning of this conversation with what is traditional ecological knowledge? And as I start to really sit and think about it, I realize that if I was going to ask you, Melissa Nelson, that question, or Sage LaPena, this amazing knowledge holder we'll hear from also today, or Greg Cajete, or Enrique Salmon, any of these great knowledge holders, if you ask them what is traditional ecological knowledge, we would all come up with a different answer here. And that's one of the beauties of this framework that we're entering into. And so I'm wondering if we should just start there. What do you think? Wonderful, Sarah. Thank you. And welcome to everyone to the Native Seed Pod. Uh, So excited to be hearing from extraordinary knowledge keeper, Sage La Pena, about traditional ecological knowledge and California native plants. And your question is really relevant and so important. Traditional ecological knowledge right now in Northern California is acorn time. It's baynut time. It's gathering time. We are in the new moon in November. It should be a time where we're having rain, but sadly we have not had rain uh, due to our climate change issues that we're dealing with right now. And then we are having fires still. I mean, it's crazy that we're having fires in mid-November. Yeah, it's amazing. So that is very uh, poignant and very important because Sage is a knowledge keeper about traditional fire management and cultural burning in California. So we'll be hearing some wonderful stories about fire from her. And so for... T-E-K, or tech as Sage likes to call it, the the true tech, the original technology (laughs) of the indigenous peoples of our Turtle Island, of our lands. Uh, T-E-K is a term of art now being used by governments and academia, tribal colleges, communities. Uh, Of course, our native voices, our native languages, we never use that term. We talked about our ways of life. We talked about the good life. We talked about our original instructions. Uh, We talked about our cosmovisions, 
We talked about our ways of relating to our home landscapes, waterscapes, skyscapes, uh, from our own cultural frameworks. So for TK, for me as an Anishinaabe woman, it's about the Great Lakes. It's about wild rice. It's about the buffalo. It's about our clans, the moose, uh, the lynx. Here, we're going to be hearing and honoring the first peoples of this land we are on in California, Coast Miwok, Pomo, Wapo, uh, Yuki, Wailaki, Ohlone, and Sage is a Nomtipom uh Wintu woman will be speaking about her vast knowledge of Northern California and really all over California. She's been studying and learning about native plants probably while she was in the womb. And she's learned from some of the great last top doctors like Grandma Florence Jones, keeper of Mount Shasta, her wonderful family lineage uh, of working on the land. So she is a medical herbalist, an ethnobotanist, an agroecologist, and we're so happy to launch into an understanding of the deep-rooted ones of native plants, also the, the sacred trees, and all the medicines that are given uh, in this beautiful landscape we call California. Yes, what an amazing event it was to be able to record, Sage, as you were talking about um, live at our public event at the Indian Valley Organic Farm and Garden in Marin County, uh, northern Marin County, Nevada, California, where we were able to gather with community, youth, elders to walk the field and enter into our California ethnobotanical area where Sage has been leading this amazing effort to help us revitalize the indigenous plants and medicines and foods of this beautiful hillside and bring back into coherency and vision really our relationship to these plants as part of this vibrant ecosystem and what it means to reconnect back into these nourishing relationships. And that's where I come from. <laughs> These are medicines that are food. Foods and medicines are one and the same when we make it that way. And our agreement with that in how we lay that grass down and how it comes back up and how we partake in that food by plunging our sticks into the earth matters. And that is modern. These ancient ways are modern. They're still absolutely necessary to how our blood moves through our bodies. You know, we've become sluggish as the world has become faster. We've become sluggish and static in our thinking. So going back to some of those ways revitalizes that blood and movement within ourselves. So when we partake in, we're gonna be going out here and seeing some of these things and seeing them as in their infant stages, you know, and helping that along by putting that back into the earth. So that's all something that we can participate in. And what that does is it reconnects us to this place. 
from the other side over here, we have the Ohlone people, and here the Kosmiwak people, and then up to the Pomo people, Yuki people, Wapo people, all around us, all these different peoples that have walked through here in trade and living. And this place is so abundant with the spirits of those people that have passed through, that are still here, that are still vital peoples, tribes, nations that are still part of this land today, thriving. So if you look around us, you do see quite a few non-native plants that have come in. But if you look above, you can see this beautiful elder that is here with us witnessing everything that's happening today, this coast live oak. And here to the side, next is pepperwood. These are two very important sacred trees, sacred beings that provide so much for the people in terms of shelter and food and medicine and spirit medicine for ceremony that have continued to be used today. So in reciprocity, we are helping by just being here with these trees in all of this energy that we're you know, sharing with each other, we're actually giving back to. So it's important to come to these places. And then if you look below us, you can see all this greening up. There's plantain and the Indian lettuce out here and the poppies and everything that we see that was of this place and still is, the baccarus back here. This is all medicine. This is all food that's used. If it's not used in a daily basis, to actually nourish our physical bodies. It's here to nourish our spirit. So it's important to partake in those things. So as we're out in and out of the garden, greet some of these beings around you. Get to know them. Walk up close. You know, what do their leaves look like? What do they feel like? What do they smell like? What do they just feel like in being near them? So you get to know the place much better that you are working and giving back to and in that sense, you are meeting new friends that are not always people. So in that way, you become part of that place and you take with you as you go, the spirit of that place with you that adds to your own vitality. So this veriditas or greening up, what we call yeoman weda, which is the coming up of new things, all adds to our own health and well-being just by participating in that. What we have now in terms of those of us who are studying environmental sciences and California Indians and Native American studies is that we are now considered to be agroecologists. So we have now found that there has been plantings of oak trees in rows. But the way we have been known to cultivate, what I use is a mountain mahogany it is a shrub tree. I have a stick that's about four feet long, and then that's debarked, right? And then we temper the end, so we burn the end, which fire hardens the tip, and that's used for harvesting roots, harvesting bulbs, and so forth. Um, and some of these that you can see here that are coming up, that are the like our wild potatoes, Brodeas, calicortis, some of these uh, bulb and corm plants that we eat, that's utilizing that stick. So that is aeration of soil. So instead of turning over large 
pieces of land and flipping topsoil because soil growing in layers needs the vitality of the microbes, the enzymes, and all these little critters that you can't really see. And it takes a while for them to readjust in terms of that soil patterning when soil is flipped. When soil is aerated, we merely open up the space where we are harvesting that root, that bulb, the corms, and then we're putting the soils back together. So there's introduction of oxygenation in the soil, nutrients that's coming from the very top that's being forced down into the hole, but we're not actually flipping the whole piece of soil over. And thank you so much also for talking about fire. One thing about fire that I wanted to mention is way back when they were first building the missions, when we were indentured servants and we were helping build the missions, we continued to try to do our practices of traditional burning. And they thought we were trying to burn things down. They didn't understand that we were merely trying to continue our job and take care of our lands, which then would have brought more food for the missions. But there was a misunderstanding, ethnocentric viewpoint and language barriers. So the misunderstanding was then that they didn't want those things to happen. So that was the very beginning, even back in the 1600s when they didn't want us to do burning. But one of the things that really caused the major fire deficit in California and in the United States was there was a huge wildfire. Then two gentlemen were firefighters. They became the policy changers for USFS and made it 100% fire suppression for wildfires. And that was the invention also of Smokey the Bear. So Smokey the Bear and the United States Forestry Service policy of fire suppression is why we are in such a huge fire deficit today. The reincorporation of prescribed burning is extremely important for all of us and our livelihood. There are a couple different entities for those of you who are interested. One of those is the Northern California Prescribed Burn Council. There is another one, the Southern California Prescribed Burn Council. And they do what is called TREX, which is tribal fire learning how to do tribal prescription burns. So many of our tribal fire departments work with both the Northern and Southern California Prescribed Burn Councils. They are um, more and more of our tribal people are, are studying environmental sciences. So we've got firefighters, environmental scientists, and cultural people that have learned their tech from their specific area working with CAL FIRE, working with USFS, but it's on small scale because they talk about policy changing, talk about money. Those things work like frozen molasses. And many of these entities work in silos. So you do your desk job and it's difficult to even know what the desk next to you is doing. So getting the actual crews out on the grounds, having people get away from their desks and learning that it's not something to be feared. When we do controlled burns, even in areas that are very overgrown, 
We talk about first fuel load reductions, right? We talk about ladder fuels. So we're pulling, we're lifting canopies and getting rid of a lot of, and we're doing a lot of burn piling first. So then when you go back and you do a controlled burn, the fire just walks across the land and cleans the land and you can actually walk with the land. When we talk about protection of the animals and the birds, we have set out video cameras, wildlife cameras, even night vision cameras, where you can see the burns pass, the birds fly away, the birds come back and they roll and they fluff in the ash that is left behind because it helps with mites in their feathers. It helps to protect them because that pH is actually missing when there's no fire. So there are so many other things off balance just by removing fire, as I talked about before, water, but also down to the nth degree. When we remove something huge, I mean, fire is one of the biggest keystone elements that exists on Earth. So reintroduction of fire creates all these other cascade events that lead more to prosperity and abundance in so many different ways. So when I'm talking about harvesting by, by utilizing a digging stick, you can see you're going right along down, right along the edge of it and kind of arching out and then it, you can pull that right out of the ground. You don't need to make these huge holes and turn the soil upside down. And then a lot of times you'll find little tiny babies that attach around the base. So when you're removing one wildflower out of the ground, you replace all those babies back, cover it up, the rains continue, they sit there whatever they're doing for summertime, and then in the uh, fall and winter, the rains come, and then once again, that continues on. So when you harvest wildflowers, you actually create more by proper harvest techniques. So what are the seasons of these plants? What do we gather when to help create that abundance, right? When the Spanish came in the galleons and they started to sail up the coast, and they saw that Copa de Oro they, they set it in their annals for those ships. It was, it's been read over and over. We found Eden. We have found Eden. Here is Eden. And it was the people's presence with the land and those techniques of proper tending and being one with that helped create that abundance. And we've got some soap root here. You can see here the flower stalk from last year but these, they're in the lily family, they get these little tiny white night blooming flowers that come up. So you can see what these also look like. So when you're out and about, you can see this plant. And when we put them in the ground, this, a lot of this is water loss for the plant. It is feeding through photosynthesis, but this is where a lot of water loss is. So we can trim this back a little bit when we put these into the ground. Um, that'll be kind of on more of the upper edge of the riparian corridor as opposed to right in the water. I've seen them growing right in the creek bed where we can just go along and pick them out. It's so special to walk the ground and walk the land with Sage La Pena and uh, 
directly interact in an embodied way with the plants and the soils and the wind. And at Indian Valley Organic Farm, where we're growing our ethnobotanical area, we were able to really dive into what Robin Kimmerer earlier talked about is biocultural restoration. That is restoring the biological integrity, the health of the native landscape, along with our cultural relationship to these plants and to these lands and the cultural uses we have for elderberry and soap root and so many of the beautiful native plants that the earth offers to us at this point. And we were able to do that in community with youth and elders and families and really feature one of our other major teachers. Yes, this is an amazing opportunity to introduce Ben Schleffer, one of our beautiful native farmers out here um, helping lead our food waste program on the ground. Ben is Blackfoot. He was born and raised here in California, and he has an amazing relationship to this land here. And it was really quite special to listen to him kind of go back and forth, the the exchange of knowledge and um, um, communication that happened between Ben and Sage was also quite special. So it's a real opportunity to introduce him here to the group. And it's one of the more common, if you're trying to get familiar with... um, you know, harvesting and repropagating native plants. It's a great one to start with because it does really well in disturbed soils. Um, it's not threatened at all in the area. Anytime there's like a landslide or something, like we, we had a lot of last year in this county, um, you drive by, it's one of the first things reestablishing itself. And um, and it's, yeah, it's really, really hardy. Lots of uses. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's one of these uh, plants that actually grows from the center out. So when you see all those fibers on the outside, that was the center of this plant. So it's growing, this basal shoot comes out up out of the center. And so all of this fiber is protecting for water and also for heat, also for cold in the wintertime. But then, yes, that bulb on the outside there is the food source. That's all carbohydrates that's feeding that plant that's growing back up into the middle there. And it is just the very bottom part that's the actual root part of that plant. The bulb is the food source for it. Just when you're eating a lot of these other food sources here, that's the starchy vegetable, potatoes, uh, the soap root, and a lot of the other uh, calicordis and so forth that that you can eat that's out there. And we still utilize this plant, um, you know, just, I mean, it's very high in saponins. So you can actually just put it by your outside water faucet and, and use it to wash your hands with. But also the fibers here that help protect the bulb are used to make brushes, you know. And um, when we do our talks, remember, we're talking in the present tense. We still make these brushes. We still utilize this soap. We still make medicine with the elderberry. We still use the ceanothus for the rim sticks on harvesting baskets, on seed trays and so forth. And all the medicines here with the monardella and the artemisia. Oh, and currants are so wonderful. You know, it's currants actually that make champagne, not grapes, but just saying. Wonderful foods, wonderful medicine.
so who's interested in doing some lopping? Like with anything, just recognizing that although because um, traditional practices have not been allowed to take place, certain species like um, coyote brush are, um, can kind of take over and, and overstep where they were traditionally and, and, and where their place was. Um, we still want to recognize that uh, that we're doing a lot of damage to these trees today. You know, one way or another, whether there's something that whether it's something that should have been done a long time ago, whether it's corrective action from action that wasn't taken or whatever. The reality is we're still we're taking a lot of limbs off these trees today. So um, just something to be aware of. Um, there's a, there's a, an old Oaxacan tobacco bush back there with some dried leaves hanging off it. If you feel um, if that's how you pray, if that's how you um, you know, if that's how you communicate with plants when you work with them. Um, that's how I do by offering tobacco. So just, it's, you know, just kind of awareness of what's going on and what, um, yeah, everything that's being affected by, by the things that we're doing, even though we're trying to make changes, um, you know, for, for the positive, it's still, we recognize the damage we do in the meantime. Everything we do here is with intention. So converse, you know, with your mind, with your songs, with your words, with your prayers. And also, what is the growth habit of that which we are going to be disturbing? Some plants, if they're harvested too far down the stalk, that whole branch is going to die back anyway. And then what are the growth nodes on these plants? Where do the leaves come out of? So are you taking it just above that? Because if you're going just below that, that plant is going to die back all the way to the next growth nodes. So there are different ways that plants reproduce, different ways that plants um, are affected by how, when, and so forth that we're pruning them. So we're really going to just be taking the baccarus back away from the trails for our passage, for safe passage there as opposed to taking them out entirely. Um, we did not plant these plants here. They chose, this is their hillside. They were here first. And then we've had the opportunity of being able to help plant and change the space around it. Um, but they are there actually to help this hillside be safe from erosion, from a lot of sunlight, um, they have their place here, and so we're just, you know, talk to them about how you're, we're sharing that space together. Anita, what it's used for, what its habitat is? Yeah, well, yeah, so its habitat, it can do wet too, but it needs sun. So its habitat is right over there. You can just see it all around, those big bushes. Mm -hmm. It's either coyote brush or it's manzanita. Um, and manzanita is a very hard wood, so as a wood it was um, important for certain types of fire because it burns really clean. Um, so like things like eels were cooked on the ash because you could just wipe the ash off and it was a really clean white burning ash. Um, also its cousin, the madrone, um, a much taller um, relative of this plant which is also native. You can see them not this time of year but Actually, you can. They're, they're kind of the most pale trees in the canopies out there. Mm -hmm. um, those are the madrones. They have really good edible berries. Um, the wood's really hard. That's what most the digging sticks that um, Sage was talking about, um, that, that her people made out of mountain mahogany. Mm -hmm. um, out here is mostly made out of madrone. Um, 
And yeah, the berries are also a, a really main food source. Uh, they were either turned fresh, fresh green. So the name manzanita, what, what is that? Does anyone speak Spanish? What does that mean? Little apples, right? So it's it's um, has these small green tart berries that that you know taste like a like a green cooking apple or something like that. Um, so it's either made into a fresh cider like that, or we wait until the berries dry completely on the plant and they turn a deep red, um, almost an orangish red, and then they would be ground into a meal and reconstituted with water um, and eaten like that. So um, those were kind of the main uses of the plant, but also like I said, the wood was really good. Uh, material for anything you needed hardwood for or you needed hardwood coals um, because in order to do the things like like all the things that um, you know like Sage was talking about in terms of how the birds you know uh, need that that alkalinity in the ashes um, so certain ashes don't necessarily produce the same alkalinity right hardwoods are always are always the ones that you know when you're talking about the process of nixtamalization with corn and turning it into hominy um, hardwoods are the only only woods that that really can be used um, you, you, you just can't you don't get um, it doesn't affect the right chemical process if you don't use hardwoods so just like that out here there was lots of reasons that people might need certain types of ashes that have you know um, certain um, properties and and, uh, and a higher alkalinity and these hardwoods are one of them this tree shrub is an elderberry and the elderberry tree of course gets elderberries Elderberries have been studied a lot. We harvest elderberries in summertime. We dry a lot of them and now a lot of people of course make jams, jellies and syrup that's used all throughout the winter time. Elderberry has been proven effective against uh, bacteria and specifically virus in the lung tissue. And if you look at an elderberry, it's the humble flower that's creamy and then those get the berries and they kind of drop down and that actually mimics looks like the alveoli inside of your lungs so those little sacs where there's the exchange of oxygenation in the deep recesses of your lungs is where that will help clean kill virus so it lessens the duration of influenza virus, bronchitis in your lungs. Very important medicine plant, food plant, tastes wonderful. Um, people have been making wine with elderberry for thousands of years. So this is going to be the biggest thing that we're going to be planting today. So this is elderberry. Also, we utilize elderberry wood to make our musical instruments, the clapper stick, um, also whistles, and also boxes that we would use. It's a tube that has plugs on each end to carry tobacco. We didn't traditionally carry tobacco just in leather pouches, but also in these wooden vessels. So a medicine person would actually have a whole bunch of these tubes, each carrying different types of dried plants in them, or also clays, ochre, and so forth. So this has a soft pith in the center here. It's considered to be the tree of music. It's a tree of medicine.
The Native Seed Pod is produced by the Cultural Conservancy with generous support by Tamil Pius Trust. To contribute to our polyculture and to find out more information, please visit us at nativeseedpod.org or nativeland.org. So when I talk about tech, um, I wanted to talk about one of my most technological attributes um, that tech is, and this is mountain mahogany. It's a stick um, that was gathered up in my homeland, and I am Nomtupom and Tanai, Nomsus Wintu, so three different village sites that surround the headwaters of the Trinity River. And that, of course, would flow back to Klamath and did not flow into the Sacramento River at that point in time, at the beginning, when there were no dams on these rivers. And of course, all of us know we're doing to our river systems what we're doing inside our bodies when we're not partaking in our traditional foods. We're damming up our bodies. We're sending our circulation in wrong directions and backing up. So we need to continue to make those connections. So mountain mahogany is used as a digging stick. It's used for tool handles and a lot of other things. And it's a plant that is one that is in the belt where we need to burn. And so some of our plants don't exist in abundance as much as they have in the past because of our burning practices being you know, suppressed. And because of that suppression, we have buildup of all these fuels, and then we have catastrophic fires. And I think what is happening now are this buildup of fuel where we are igniting, uniting and igniting, because there, this fuel is built up within us. Then we know that there's an off-balance situation happening in these wild lands, and the wild lands are inside of us. So that's why we feel so good when we can come and talk with like-minded people and get these things out. And we're, we're talking with a little bit of anger and we're talking with a little bit of pride because we want things to, to work themselves out. But we're having the process of building family. So with the digging stick, just the stick that it is and what it represents is how you tend to your homelands to make them abundant. And as we talked about earlier today, the ability to gather, to collect, to harvest our plants and our animals that are necessary to our cultural survival creates abundance, creates abundance in our homelands within those different species, diverse species, and also within ourselves. We have so much wealth in our lands and the lands have been suffering because they're suppressed and so what happens is in our way is like when you see a house and it's surrounded surrounded by all this chaos and you have like all your 
um, dead cars outside and some things that you see like on the reservation is there's a suppression there with this built up fuel and that that wealth abundant wealth although that it's a wealth of metal it's not being utilized so when creator looks down upon us and sees our misuse of our abundance some of that abundance is held back that abundance is held back because there's a looking down upon and seeing oh you have so much that you're hoarding of all of our beautiful wealth these gifts that are given to you so I think I'm going to hold that back and that's true when we look at it philosophically but these are how some of our rules were set down when we have all these gifts and the acorns are just lying upon the ground and no one's utilizing them there will be less of them when you go and you put your arms around a tree and you talk to that tree when you burn around the base of that tree because you're taking care of it the proper way you actually have more abundance and if you look at that scientifically which western science tries to kind of bridge and crosswalk and interface with tech is that when you're burning of course you are putting back into the soil those carbon you are heating the soil to a certain degree just below the surface even you are taking down all of this insect population that has grown and a lot of the oaks of course have this pendulous growth around and if that is not being taken care of that will also ignite so as we walk around underneath trees we take care of that we're picking all along we're picking up and that's cleaning up that next year we know every acorn on the ground is an acorn that I know is something fresh it's from this year so those little rules of why we do those things make complete sense when it comes to harvesting and as I said what I started to talk about is the use of the digging stick you know we don't um, practice tillage the same way that a plow does tillage is how far I can put this stick into the ground and how far I can put this stick into the ground relates directly to if I've done it in the past because every time that I do that I'm creating the cut through the topsoil through the hummus and humus hummus humus that was funny um, so that there's air being recirculated through there so that there's more roots that are able to grow because of course they also need oxygen and the use of the digging stick also represent when am I supposed to be digging those roots if you are from California certainly up in Trinity County you are not putting this stick into the ground in the middle of summertime it's rock hard <laughs> but if you are putting this stick into the ground during root season in the fall root season means it has just rained you've already collected your acorns you're now going to dig some of the roots um, black root or balsam root um, mule ears um, what we call oh, chewitzi so angelica lomatium um, moonsuck suck. so these root vegetables that are also our medicine that we're going to utilize all winter long are supposed to be gathered when that ground is right for them to be gathered and you can do that with 
quote unquote, what some people call primitive, but less technological means because it's not necessary. You're merely putting as far into the ground as possible will go with that stick. Same thing with soap root. You wait for the harvest to come after the rain, the soap root pulls from the ground. You can pop from underneath it with a stick. And then in the springtime, which are still in root season again, because what happens after root season is it goes down to the tips of your feet, the bottom, and we can akin Mother Earth directly with ourselves, right? So what happens in the winter time? We go inside, our energy drops down, Mother Earth, her energy pulls inside, that's root season. And then in the springtime, we're gonna gather our greens, which are our ankles, up our leg, and by the time summertime comes and we're gathering wildflowers and the tops and the seeds were at our knees, you know, and we've come to full bloom and we're gathering from the trees in the fall, and then that's where we are, we're out here, you know, reaching for the sky. And that's when we gather those things. So every plant has a season when you gather it based on where it is, according to you, as being the embodiment of Mother Earth. So in the springtime, these wildflowers that are down here below our knees, um, which are all of your spring wildflowers, including poppy, redmaids, calicordis, so uh, some of these I don't even know what the common name is anymore, because common names, of course, don't really make sense. If you go talk to somebody else, they're calling something mountain balm, but these people call it yerba santa. But if we, you know, I, I did need to, you know, as she was saying, you, you're learning this second or sometimes a third language so that you can interface with a wide variety of people and also help in the understanding of how it is we're utilizing these plant systems and how it is that they're affecting us by how we also affect them. So all of these wildflowers are edible, you know, but then you go back to the rules. When can I gather these? Okay, so I'm not going to gather brodea, I'm not going to gather camas flowers unless they're in bloom. And why is that? Because in the same patch of the camas is also going to be the one or two death camas flowers. And of course, they're stark white. We don't eat white foods. And then as I was a teenager, I started to think about it. You know, the pure white sugar and pure white rice and pure white salt and pure white flour. And these are all foods. Why are we eating those foods? They're not just foods that we harvest, but they have to be processed to this nth degree where what is left of them. Even salt in its pure form without being purely processed has all these like other different minerals in it. It's speckled, it's pink, it's black. And so for it to be the, through that high process, it becomes something that it's not. And salt is very powerful. Salt is a, you know, for trade. We didn't have refrigeration. So people who had access to salt are very wealthy because without salt, you have sickness. If you don't smoke your meats, they have to be rolled in salt in order to make it through the winter. So all of these little things that, you know, when we have refrigeration and we have cars and we can go daily to the supermarket and get these different things, they don't come into our mind focus of what it is 
um, living daily off the land and it's wonderful when we have organic gardens and it's wonderful when we you know practice what it is that we can practice for ourselves we know what that level is but there are all these unspoken terms and conditions that we've had that were set up for thousands and thousands of years so that we could live in this huge abundance with having the sisters together with having us be part of and see ourselves not just you know we come from mother earth we are mother earth every single piece speck atom chemical makeup of who we are you know from the wind our breath and the blood the earth river that flows through us Thank <laughs> you.